Welcome to episode 73 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Allison and Tim. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Allison and Tim, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Have you wondered what Al-Anon is about? Why do we keep coming when we feel better? What does Al-Anon tell us about our alcoholic friends and relatives? These questions and more are addressed by Tradition 5, which says, Each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, and by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of Tradition 5. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your solo host today. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be the discussion of the topic, Tradition 5. Following a musical break, I'll talk about my life in recovery this week, and we'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast. My reading today is taken from our daily reader, Courage to Change. It's on page 42. Tradition 5 helps me to set three goals, to work the steps for myself, to have compassion for alcoholics, and to have compassion for those who come to Al-Anon. What strikes me is the amount of love to be found in these three goals. First, I love myself enough to try and heal and grow by working the 12 steps. Next, I call upon this strength to love those people I once thought were my enemies, recognizing that they too were struggling to cope with this terrible disease. Finally, I draw upon these experiences and extend love to those who are following a similar journey, the families and friends of alcoholics. I know that I was pulled from despair by the love of strangers who quickly became friends. Now I have enough love and wholeness within myself to share it with others who suffer from the effects of alcoholism. And uh, I really like this reading. And I like part of it is that I like the way that it ties together the three parts of the tradition and points out that there really are different aspects of the love that we find in the program, the love that we find in ourselves, and the love that we find from our higher power as we come to understand a higher power through the, the working of the steps. And I like the way that it frames the 12 steps as a journey of self-love, because I know when I first saw the 12 steps, I certainly didn't think of them that way. I thought of them as some sort of ordeal or, or something that people in 12-step programs had to pass through, and you know that wasn't something that... I wanted to do. I didn't see how that would help me at all. And to, to understand that the 12 steps are a journey of self-discovery and of really a journey of recovery, and that we take that journey because we love ourselves uh, is, is a wonderful thought. I'm also reminded from this reading 
of the expression, which may be heard more often in the rooms of AA than in the rooms of Al-Anon, but it's equally true for us that the people in the program will love us until we learn to love ourselves. Um, coming in to Al-Anon, coming into a 12-step program, you know, we, we're not coming in on our best feet. We're not coming in on a roll. We're not coming in because life is just wonderful and we want to make it better. We're coming in because we're in pain, we're in despair, because we've tried everything we can think of and it hasn't worked. And we're generally not feeling very good about ourselves at that point. Uh, I know that that I felt pretty much like a failure, that I was supposed to be able to, uh, you know, fix the alcoholism in my family, and I had not succeeded. And therefore, I, I must not be a very worthwhile person. I also had years and years of, of tapes of, of uh, shame and guilt, of unworthiness, that in the program I learned how to sort of rewind and, and, and re-record those tapes with a different message. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with our friend Ruth about Tradition 5. Uh, let's listen to that right now. Ruth also started by reflecting on a reading. This one is from April 18th in the Daily Reader, One Day at a Time. A compulsive drinker can never be set free from his sickness by treating him with contempt. Yet isn't that what many of us do? When the drinker's dignity and quality are hidden under sudden incoherence or violence, it isn't easy to remember that this helpless creature is a child of God, hurt, sensitive, sick with guilt, in need of our compassion. Difficult as it is, our own progress must begin with correcting our attitudes towards the alcoholic when he or she is in the acute stages of the illness. Emotional crises happen, too, after the alcoholic has become sober. We owe to ourselves to meet these in the same way as though actual drinking had caused the disturbance. Nothing constructive results from meeting anger with anger. Nobody wins the battle in which control is lost. Uh, good evening, Ruth. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm happy to have you on, uh, on Skype again, and we're going to talk about Tradition 5 today. And I want to thank you yeah. for, uh, for being here. It has been a great uh, topic. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Okay. I, as as we've done, I'd like to read Tradition 5 in English, and then maybe you can read it back in German. Mm -hmm. Tradition 5 says, Each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, and by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. Okay. Ähm, jede Alanon-Familiengruppe hat nur ein Anliegen, den Familien von Alkoholikern zu helfen. Wir tun dies dadurch, dass wir selbst die zwölf Schritte der AA praktizieren, dadurch, dass wir unsere alkoholkranken Angehörigen ermutigen und verstehen und dadurch, dass uns Familienmitglieder von Alkoholikern willkommen sind und wir sie trösten. That was in German. Yes. Uh, I This is one of my favorite traditions, um, and I think that may be true for, for many people if they think about the traditions at all, because it really, in a couple of sentences for me, tells me what the Al-Anon program is really about, um, mm -hmm. and, and that 
and and to some extent, then I guess what it's what it's not about. What are your thoughts on on tradition five? It's something on how I do understand it, and say the focus is uh, is to help and nothing else, not to sell something or whatever, uh, and how we do it. Yes, and how we do it, uh, and the, and the first thing it says is by practicing the twelve steps ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and then by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives. And I understand that, that you had some particular thoughts about that phrase. Yeah, I have. What I did uh, when I first came to Al-Anon, that I did very a deep dive to understand the disease. Because I know that, uh, that I was completely missing understanding of alcoholism. It was really new to me. I may have heard the word before, but I do not understand the disease. And that was what made me so exhausted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I come to Elanon, like many other two, I, I was really exhausted. And uh, it was something, you know, I was willing to do anything just to being less, feeling miserable and exhausted and felt nearly like dying. Mm. And but you know what made me so exhausted was that it was what I did. I would try to understand my alcoholic, and you know I was somebody I knew or already or what I I thought I understand that my alcoholic partner was behaving the way he did because of low self-esteem and out of shame. Mm. And I thought I could fix it, you know, Mm -hmm. if I'm only more loving, more encouraging, more supporting, uh, then he will become the wonderful person I once met and fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And everything worked out. So, I wasn't the one, you know, who was screaming, counting the bottles because I didn't know he was drinking. Mm-hmm. And but I only see uh, a person I, I once know who was very intelligent, very successful, and becoming more and more um, a person full of shame and low self-esteem. And so that was what I have done. I always try to encourage him and uh, support him. Mm-hmm. And I failed. And I failed again. And after, I think, eight years, I, I get on my knees, you know. Mm. And so when I come to Alanon and I read those words, and I said, again, you know, <laughs> it <Again>. was, <laughs> shall I, you know, isn't there any place for me? I'm coming here to get some help, and now I, I shall um, encourage him again. And um, so this was uh, yeah, somehow painful for me. Have you come to a, a different understanding of what it means to encourage um, the alcoholic in your life? It was, um, I was lately reading from... I think one day after another, it is uh, the 18th of April. And even so, I, I know that alcoholism is a disease and uh, so on. It 
it hit a different point in my understanding. And for me, it is often like it's that we need stories to understand some phrases and how to put those phrases. For me, it's helping me to understand the disease and encourage um, at the right time, you know? Mm-hmm. It is, and it is only a part. The, the program is somehow simple, but also complex. Hmm. So when I, I, when do I put what? And I had been there that I understood that he is full of shame and uh, um, low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And I also had compassion for him. But I had more, I was more with suffering. And mm. I was a lot enabling too. And that's the difference, you know, yes, it yes, is it uh, for me. And I think it is also said that um, if you have somebody with uh, other physical illness, like somebody who's sitting in the wheelchair, then I would also encourage this person to, to, uh, to do healthy things like eating healthy and so on. But I won't expect him, you know, to, to go upstairs on his own. So, I would, uh, I think it would be good also for me if an alcoholic is getting sober and is changing and have compassion for, for this process and mm-hmm. uh, being patient. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it is this uh, picture like, you know, with people who are sneezing. I can have compassion for their disease, but I do not have to take uh, everything. And that's so it's um it's a small way or you know it's um you have to balance and you have to check but yeah encourage at the right time, you know, and understand really what's a disease and what's not and what's only, you know, I would say that behavior which you do not have to endure anymore. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a it is a different understanding of of encourage, and I guess when I think about that myself, I think about the way in which um, I came to be able to um, support my loved one in her struggle without trying to run it, without mm-hmm. trying to control it, and and that sounds like um, very similar to what what you're saying. What I learned in Alanon, um, what I didn't know before, is that I I can't give somebody else some things like self-esteem. That is something which you have to work out for yourself. And for me, you know, to um, to realize that my love cannot cure alcoholism, you know, that was very, very bitter. I thought if, if I, you know only love in us and support in us. Mm-hmm. I would be able to uh, fix those things. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, um, this kind, that was what I understand uh, um, under encouraging. Yeah. But that is something which has no effect, but it is only, you know, draining me. And um, so that is what I mean. It's uh, to understand what I can do and what I can't do. I can't cure it. I haven't caused it. Right. And I can't control it. Mm-hmm. And if you look at those 
three C's and you know, yeah, <laughs> and where you can encourage and where not. Yep, yep. Um, so the the other, um, the third part of Tradition 5, it says, welcoming uh -huh. and giving comfort mm -hmm. to families of alcoholics. I wonder what your experience is with, with that part of Tradition 5. It was understanding. You know, a lot of people do not understand what I was suffering from, what was wrong in our relation, what was not working. And it was the first time people did not question me or not uh, saying that I may be wrong or that I should do something different. I was just welcomed and uh, understood. And I understood what, what they were talking about. You know, I, I could start identifying. And for me today, I'm tr trying to, to give that back. So if someone is coming the first time in the room, I don't question them and uh, try to be welcoming and try them to feel comfortable and understood. You know, that's very important for me. Mm -hmm. I've been been thinking recently about how important it is that we listen to each other, um, that in in really listening to somebody else as we we try to do in our meetings um, and in our you know with a sponsor uh, or I guess as in being a sponsor in particular um, that we you know the first thing that happens there is that you know by listening by accepting by not um, you know not questioning not judging um, mm -hmm. we say, Your experience is real. Um, this 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 happened to you, and and that and this for me. I mean, this is what happened in my very first Al-Anon meeting. Is um, that I think it was just the sort of the the respect that I saw everybody in the room giving everybody else as they shared, um, as they listened. That that I knew that there was a that was a place that that I could really um, open up, that I could talk about, that I could share, that I could relieve um, some of the, the, the chaos, the, um, the sadness, the, the, the anger, the frustration that was in my life. And, and, uh, and I've been thinking about how that works and how that works, you know, in particular, how that works with this podcast, that hmm. um, as I start to bring in um, the voices of of other people uh, who, you know, I didn't. I had no way of knowing you. I would never have met you. Um, I mean, still, we haven't mm -hmm. physically met, but but we share our voices and and the importance that that has, both for um, you know the other people who are listening, but that it has for for us as well that we are heard, um, and. And I see that in this in this fifth tradition, um, welcoming, come in, um, you know, we will hear you here. Uh, and uh, and I know, um, you know that that you have said that there's no, um, you know, there's no active alcoholism in your life right now. Um, and so, I think that that a lot maybe of what 
um, you know, why you are in a meeting is also partly because, um, you know, you're, you're carrying that message to others and, and you're listening to them and you're saying your experience is real. Um, you know, you're not imagining this thing um, that is happening and, and here, here you can find some help for yourself. Um, I had to say, you know, after I've been uh, two years in Al-Anon, I um, split up with my loved one mm-hmm. because I didn't see really any progress in our relation. And mm-hmm. um, then I went two more years to Al-Anon, and I was convinced that I'm, you know, just doing the 12th step and being there for others and giving back. And then I, I use the geographical change uh, and say, yeah, I want to have a new life. So my higher power sent me two other people yeah. <laughs> in my life to realize that I'm not done with drug addiction and alcoholics. You know, what break me, brought me back um, to, to Al-Anon but also now, you know, I'm using other things. My drug of choice is the illusion of control. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a loved one who deals with drugs or alcohol, uh, it is my work or it's my neighbor yeah. or somebody else. So for me, um, you know, Alanon is for me. And, it absolutely um, is. It is. I still you know, get so many out of it. And the reason, you know, why I'm calling and, and taking part in, in this podcast, I'm always, you know, feel a little bit shy because my language is not as I think it's really good, but I think, yeah, daring greatly through myself in the arena. There you go. And another thing is, it's one of the 12 concepts, which we also have in Alanon, and yes. it's a fourth concept which says participation is the key to harmony and for me if I enjoy something and what gives me something then I want to give back and you know the first one was that I'm writing in and I'm saying oh I love your podcast it's great Mm -hmm. and I was surprised that you read my email and I thought you get tons of emails and you, you maybe will never read mine and um, but for me, it was important for myself to tell the people who are giving me something that I appreciate it. You know, so well, we appreciate that too. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I, I think I'm an example of imperfection. So and try to encourage um, other people, you know, to take part themselves because. Because it becomes more yours if you participate. And, Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're not uh, in Alanan or the 12 step community. Um, you can bring yourself as you are. Yes. Yes. And, and we welcome you when, when you do. And that's what it says. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and and of course the uh, the third part of the tradition, which I guess is the first in the sentence, is is practicing the twelve steps. And mm-hmm. um, I, we talk a lot uh, about that, um, you know, in the podcast uh, because uh, I mean, for me at least, that the twelve steps have been uh, 
a real key to my continuing growth and recovery. Um, and uh, that's, uh, you know, some people, I know when we come into the, when we come, when I came in, we, huh, I keep saying we, when I came into the program, I had, I had no idea that, that those 12 steps were, had any meaning for me whatsoever. Um, and the fact that, you know, we say, this is, this is how we do the thing we do here, right? Um, has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps. How has your experience been, been there? Of course, you know, it is uh, it's and, a whole program which, uh, which I try to live. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, I really like my whole group because we are, we have a very strict program, like first Friday on, on, the, uh, on the month we are talking about step, mm-hmm. then a tradition and then a concept, mm. and then we have something like new literature or whatever. Mm. And... Um, it does sound like um, a very healthy... Do we community. have several more hours to talk than no. <laughs> I can talk about the steps, you know? No, no but uh, what, I, what I love about what you just said is you said, of course, of mm-hmm. course, that it's not even a question for you that that's, that's an essential part of the program, um, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, um, you know, that says... Uh, and it speaks to, you know, your, I guess, your success in... in, in uh, you know, ad- adopting the program into your into your life, into your growth, that it, that you say, of course, uh, because, like I said, when I was new, I would never, I would not have said, of course, I would not have thought that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I saw, what I saw in in the meetings and in the people around me was, um, it seemed like the people who were doing those twelve steps uh, were the ones who were the healthiest, the ones who had the most. Serenity, the ones who were most like what I wanted to be, uh, which I was totally not. Uh, and so, um, you know, that being a central part of the program turned out to be, uh, mm, you know, mm. I guess exhibited well. And, 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 I, and I say, yeah, okay, I guess this is what I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now they are very central to me. And I would say, of course, they're part of the program. Of course, mm-hmm. they're the, the core yeah. of the program. Mm-hmm. And I'm Did, still doing it again and again. You know, for me it is. Oh yeah. uh, sometimes I'm feeling I'm I'm just uh, starting. You know, it is uh, because every year or every time I'm I'm reading in passes of uh, recovery, I think, oh, that sentence. I know it stood there before, but because I I just understand it today. Because I'm in a in a different uh, status and I have experienced different things, and there's so much to learn, you know. And I I do not want to know where I would be now if I don't have the program. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have very dark times, you know, especially when, you know, it is um, I'm I'm so creative uh, to uh, to put my focus on other things than myself. That uh, I'm, I got uh, drawn down uh, sometimes very easy, especially at work. And um, yeah, I'm. It is uh, still work in progress, I would say. But I'm so grateful because uh, if I'm looking back, you know, I, I was uh, really, really getting sick, um, and it uh, was all about stress. And now. 
I know that um, I still have to face some of the things, but not as bad as they were. I get, you know, real depressive. I got this burnout and whatever. And now I'm, I'm noticing that I'm in the same situation, but I'm not getting as, as deep as I had been before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it would be worse without the program. Yes, yes. And it, it, and it, and that's, you know, for me, that's one of the beautiful things about Alanon that, that, I, you know, I came in because I had a particular problem, and what mm -hmm. what I found was um, not so much a solution to the problem, but a new way to live. That I won't say made the problem go away, but it 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 not only gave me a way to to live with the problem, uh, to to change my reactions uh, and and actions, but also a new way to live with everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of wonderful people. And a you lot know, of wonderful I, people. I, now I know so many people I can talk to about things which are really important to me and where I really can try out to be myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm not so young anymore and I still have the feeling that I... I'm not there, you know, yes. I do not know who I am, yes. you know, I, I'm just getting some glimpses and then I, I can try to be the person I am or I think I am and I can do it in a protected room, you know, where yes. people uh, sometimes <laughs> not um, as, uh, oh, yeah, as nice as, as you should, but we are all here to, to try out. Yes. And uh, it works out every time, you know, not so easy, but we are all growing and learning and uh, we are got uh, good companions on, on this way. Mm -hmm. Did you have um, any other um, thoughts uh, about Tradition 5 that you wanted to share? Mm, not so far at the moment, but I wanted to say something which um, uh, from the last episode. Um, yeah. Uh, what stuck out to me was um, it was I think in tradition four. Yeah. What is all Alanon? And uh, since I'm you know listening to this podcast, I get sometimes you know a little bit sad how about what things I'm missing in my Alanon community here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, oh, I have to have this and I have to have that. Otherwise, I won't get the recovery I want to have. So you see how my brain works. Oh, yeah. And um, But then I get reminded and say, yeah, let it begin with me. And uh, But when you were talking how different Alanon could be, too, yeah. and I said, yeah, it's, uh, it is good as it is. And... I, um, yeah, become more satisfied, you know, and karma and was, um, I'm getting so much out of this podcast and I'm very grateful for each and every episode and for each and every host. And if you're doing it alone, it's okay. And, um, or I also want to have all hosts wherever been there at the same time, <laughs> but it's always good. You know what I mean? It is, uh, yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. and thanks all the co-hosts. 
Rachel, I love your daughter. It's very, very refreshing. Oh, she is. She is. Uh, well, thank you. And uh, thank you for sharing your, your thoughts on Tradition 5. Yeah, same to you. Bye-bye. Be good. Bye. And I'm always grateful to uh, Ruth and to other um, listeners who are participating in the podcast. I almost feel like I could stop now, but I won't. I was thinking about understanding and encouraging our alcoholic relatives, and a, a really huge part of recovery for me, a really huge part of uh, coming to be able to live with the effects of this disease what came from a really a better understanding of alcoholism and how it affects uh, those who suffer from it uh, and how did that happen you know it, it didn't happen instantly it didn't happen right away uh, it it happened from lots of different sources it happened from uh, going to lectures about alcoholism at a treatment center and learning some of the genetic basis for the disease and some of the theory of how alcohol affects the brain, how drugs affect the brain, and, and how addiction uh, acts in, in the brain. So starting to understand the biology, starting to understand that, that there's something different in the way that the, the brain chemistry or the brain wiring or something of people who are prone to addiction, uh, the way in which they experience the effects of alcohol and drugs and the way in which uh, that affects their future behavior. You know, I know there's something different about the way their, their pleasure reaction, uh, their pleasure center is wired or something. I'm not, you know, I, I don't pretend to understand it. I just came to an understanding that there was a real difference there. Learning about uh, some of the genetic studies that showed that um, the tendency to alcoholism is definitely inherited um, that it, there are some forms that are passed down very strongly and some that are passed down weakly. But it is a tendency that, that just getting the genes isn't sufficient. And I don't remember exactly, but uh, one of the lectures I went to talked about, you know, that there were several factors. There was genetics, there was exposure, there was time, and I think uh, maybe uh, sort of amount that uh, all of these factors went together. You know, what really cemented it for me, what really took it from an intellectual understanding to a deep emotional understanding, was attending uh, open talks by members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, in, in each of these talks, one alcoholic would, would talk about, as they say, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I... I really started to see several things. I remember vividly one uh, talk I went to uh, fairly early in my experience with these talks, and it was a young woman talking about how she took her first drink at the age of, I think, 13 or 14. She was with friends, and they each had, I think, a beer. And all her friends were sort of, hey, this is cool. Now let's, you know, play cards or something. And she said all that she could think about for the rest of the evening was where and when she could get some more. And I thought to myself, you know, this is not a behavior that she learned. This is not a failure of her will. This is something that really was innate in her that was triggered by taking that drink. 
that she reacts abnormally, where abnormally is not in the usual way, not necessarily implying any value judgment here, um, to the drug of alcohol. And if you've read some of the AA literature, in particular the doctor's opinion in the big book, he talks about people who are alcoholic have an allergy, as he calls it, to alcohol. And I recently listened to a, a talk where the speaker explained that at the time this was written, the word allergy meant an abnormal physical reaction. It didn't have the more precise meaning that we understand it to have now. And that, uh, and the speaker said, as, as an alcoholic, as a, a drug addict, he definitely had an abnormal reaction, which is to say out of the normal uh, to alcohol and drugs. And, and I came to really understand that by listening to these, listening to people talk about their lives. Uh, and I came to see that in a very central way, in a very fundamental way, their stories were all the same. They started from a different place in life. They started from different families, from different geographical locations, from different uh, economic statuses, from different social realms, from different religions. But the arc of the story, the arc of the story was the same. There was almost always the, the feeling of disease, um, the discovery of, of alcohol, the discovery that alcohol took away their, their social disease or took away their pain, took away their inhibitions, um, and, and made it possible for them to, as they put it, feel normal. Um, there's the, the increasing use as it becomes more and more difficult to achieve the desired state. And at some point in the story, it tips over from something that they are in control of to something that's in control of them. And, and once that happens, it's just a matter of how far it goes. And as, as uh, the saying goes, you know, where is the bottom? How far down do they go before they hit their bottom and, and, and try to find help and realize that, that they need help. And, and often realizing that they needed help, but being unable to do anything about it also. Uh, and, and hearing these stories, hearing hundreds of these stories, really brought it home to me that, that this was something about um, the way that, that alcoholics are. And that, you know, as I said, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a failure of willpower, as, as a friend of mine puts it. He says, you know, alcoholics are some of the most strong-willed people I know. And uh, with a smile. And that is certainly true. And so coming to understand the grip that this, again, using words from the big book, this cunning, baffling, and powerful disease has um, on the people who suffer from it, uh, then helps me, helped me to, to come to uh, compassion. And it helped me to come to um, a place where I could encourage and support um, recognizing that, that for my loved one, um, she was in at least as much pain as I was. And, and yeah, sure, she was dulling it with, with alcohol, but the spiritual pain, the psychic pain, was, was probably equally strong, maybe, and, and, and maybe worse. Um, you know, I can't say I can't get inside her head, she can't get inside my head, but, you know, that she was in pain, and she really, it 
towards at least towards the end, she did not want to be doing what she was doing. She just didn't know how to stop. And this talk that I listened to recently, um, the fellow who talked about allergy, uh, talked about not wanting to be doing what he was doing, uh, talked about almost daily thinking about killing himself, and understanding that the disease that was in control of his his brain <clears throat> was not going to let him kill himself because that would stop the flow of the drug. That would stop the supply. And the only way he found recovery was through an intervention uh, where his, his co-workers uh, cornered him, in effect, cornered him one day and said, you have a problem and you need to do something about it. And and he says, you know, his his thought at that point was not why are they doing this? His thought was not being angry. His thought was not to reject it. His thought was, thank God, because he knew there was no way he was going to stop on his own. And yeah, so encouraging, you know, Ruth, Ruth and I talked about encouraging and supporting and, and that's the way that, that I came to understand it. You know, I could, and, and that applied um, almost equally strongly both when, when she was still drinking and when she was in recovery, that when she was in recovery, I had no more control over her recovery than I had over her disease. And I could encourage it, her recovery. I could, I could say, when she says, I'm going to a meeting, I could say, great, I'll see you afterwards, rather than, oh, you're going out again. Um, and I know that it, from talking to, to people in, in Al-Anon, that some, this is something that, this is something I think that I felt at times was, you know, you're going to another meeting, you know, haven't you been gone enough? But, but coming to understand the disease and coming to understand that recovery from this disease is hard and that, that for her, you know, those meetings were an essential part of recovery, just as those meetings were an essential part of recovery for me. And, and I think I'm, I'm fortunate in, in having come to, in a way, and having come to Al-Anon before, um, my loved one came to came to her long term sobriety. That you know, when it really came time for her to be practicing her program, I knew that I knew that she needed it, and I and I knew that it was it was really the best for for all of us, the whole family. Uh, and and I was able to be you know not resentful about it, but to be encouraging. Um, and uh, yeah, so so coming to understand and coming to be able to encourage. You know, it helped me because it helped me to get rid of uh, my feelings of anger, to get rid of my feelings of resentment about, to understand that that her actions were not something that, you know, she was doing to me, that to a large extent they were not something that she was in control of. And you know, we often use the analogy of a physical disease, that if, if somebody, uh, say, had, had cancer, and the progress of that disease was such that they were unable to do certain things, that they were in pain at times and, and really, really grumpy and, and irritable, that it would be a lot easier for us to say, yeah, that's the disease acting. This is not something they're doing because they're mad at me. This is not something they're doing because they hate me. This is something they're doing because they're in pain from this disease. That's a lot easier for, for a lot of us to do with a physical disease, but it's equally true here. And it's, it's unfortunately more true with alcoholism because 
when our loved ones are in, you know, the active disease, when they're drinking, when they're drugging, it affects their brain. It affects the way they think. It affects the way they act. It affects the way they interact. Uh, and we all know that, that people who are under the influence will say and do things that they would never say or do uh, if they were not. And because they're you know, their actions and, and words and that seem voluntary, it's a lot easier to put the blame on the person rather than on seeing them as a symptom of a disease. And, you know, but, but, as Ruth said, knowing that they're the symptom of a disease doesn't mean that we have to put up with abuse, that we have to put up with foul language, that we have to put up with uh, actions that... Uh, you know, embarrass us or scare us. Uh, we we have choices, and we can choose to remove. We can usually, often, choose to remove ourselves from that situation. Uh, whether we do that by emotionally removing ourselves, uh, you know, in, engaging ourselves in a in a television show or a book, by physically removing ourselves, maybe going to another room in our home, or or maybe. Uh, you know, if necessary, leaving or asking um, our alcoholic to leave. And many of us make those choices. And, and we make those choices uh, as, as it becomes uh, apparent that we need to. Just as, uh, you know, with somebody suffering from a physical disease, we might have to re uh, remove ourselves from their presence from time to time just uh, in order to take care of ourselves. There's, there's no... There's no difference there. And uh, so moving on to the uh, the third part of Tradition 5, although I'm taking these out of order, it's the second one I want to talk about, which is welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. And I already talked about, to some extent, about my experience coming into my first Al-Anon meeting and, and the amazing feeling of... of safety and welcome that it gave me. And I, I, I've never really been able to explain how I understood that to be true. I think that it is, as I, I have said, somehow I just, I, from from whatever other people said in the meeting, and, and the first meeting that I went to is not one that stops what they're doing and, um, you know, does what we, what we might call a first step meeting or, uh, when there's a newcomer, because we, that meeting, which I still attend is, and I consider my home group has newcomers almost every meeting. So, you know, we just, we go on with, with the topic of the meeting. We do try to address the newcomer, but we don't, we don't necessarily stop and say, Oh, wow, we're talking about, you know, step nine, making amends. And here's somebody who is possibly in the middle of a, of an active alcoholic family and probably not feeling very much like making any kinds of amends at the moment. No, we, we do our meeting, but, and, and the first meeting that I came to, um, was, was like that. I don't remember what the topic was, but it wasn't about, um, you know, this is our experience and this is how we can help you. It was just, this is, and this is what we talk about here, but I felt that people understood and I think it was partly the straightforward way in which people talked about what was going on in their lives. It was the openness with which everybody who spoke was accepted. It was the, I mean, it just became very clear that 
that it was um, a safe, loving, and welcoming place, even without knowing any of the any of the people in there. And I think, you know, there are a lot of different ways in which in which we welcome new people into the meetings, and and you know we've talked some about that in in uh, when we're talking about the other traditions about how meetings differ and traditions and meetings differ and you know, what we do when a newcomer comes in. But, you know, it's a central part of what we do in Al-Anon is to welcome people. And if we didn't welcome people, we wouldn't be here. If we hadn't felt welcome, maybe when we came to our first meeting, maybe when we came to a later meeting, maybe our first meeting wasn't so wonderful. If we hadn't felt welcome, we wouldn't have kept coming and we wouldn't have found recovery, the recovery that we found. Um, you know, and, and it talks about giving comfort. And and to me, I add support um, you know, and and I again I talked some about that with Ruth about validating people's experience about saying you're not crazy. Um, this really is a hard thing to do, but you know we have learned to to live, and you can learn to live too. Uh, and you know I I usually try to to stay um, after a meeting and and have conversations with other people in the meetings and maybe with people who are new if. You know, if they if they if they're open to talking to me, and I know I had a couple of I've had a couple of people over the years say to me, uh, if you hadn't talked to me after the meeting, I probably wouldn't have come back. And I don't think it was me that was special there. I really, you know, I don't have that <laughs> that much specialness in me. I think it's just the fact of somebody, some individual caring enough, caring enough to share a little bit of time with somebody that we don't know, but that we, as our, as our closing says, love in a very special way, because we understand where they are. We understand the pain. We felt it. It may not be exactly the same pain. Um, and, and we can share of ourselves and we can talk about the things we do talk about the things I do talk about the things that that I found helpful. Um, when a friend in a meeting said, I don't know how to not be resentful about all the things that, that my loved one is not doing around the house that that they supposedly signed up to do, they're supposed to do, and I end up doing them, and I end up feeling really resentful about it, and I don't know what to do because they have to get done, right? And I said, well, here's my experience. This is what I did. And what I did was I decided which of those chores were really important to me to to have them done and which ones were not. And I chose to do the ones that were important to me as a gift to myself, not because they have to be done, not because I made a deal with the other person to do them, but because they are things that I want to have done. And I'm doing it for myself. You know, I, I do the dishes as an act of self-care, not because I don't want my family to get up in the morning and there is, there's no clean dishes. Although that's a motivation. Um, and, you know, this friend took that, that lesson, that lesson, God, listen to me, took that suggestion home and tried it and it helped. Um, and that's how we that's another way in which we we give comfort and support in the program is just by sharing things that 
worked for us or just by sharing the fact that, that we were in the same place and we had the same confusion and we weren't really sure what to do about it either. Um, I think that's, that's maybe sometimes more important than having a, you know, having a great idea about how to deal with the situation. At the, uh, at, at one of my recent meetings, um, a fellow was talking about, he was giving, um, you know, as we, as we call it a first step talk, that he said, well, so I, I read the little instructions about what I'm supposed to do, and apparently what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to tell you what it was like and what happened and what it's like now. He says, well, if, if I just did that, this would be a really short talk because it was horrible, and I went to a lot of meetings, and I read a lot of literature, and I talked to a lot of people, and now it's a lot better. And then he went on to talk about the details of, of his, of his journey, um, of his journey as a father of an alcoholic who started drinking at, I think the age of about 14, um, and has periods of sobriety, but is still, uh, not fully in recovery at, in, in, in his mid forties and how working the program of Al-Anon, how coming to meetings and reading the literature and, and working the steps had enabled him to not be obsessed with whether his son was drinking, with whether his son had a roof over his head, with whether his son was you know, maybe in an institution uh, at, at any given moment, that you know, he was able to live his life. And after he finished speaking, several other people spoke up uh, and talked about um, you know, their experience with their alcoholic children. And... And then, and then I thought, well, you know, there's several new people in the meeting tonight, and and maybe some of them are there because they have alcoholic or addict children, and some of them are there because of some other relationship. And so I just, I simply said, you know, um, it, and this is all true, okay? I wasn't making anything up here. I said, I really identified with a lot of what was said there tonight. And, you know, the alcoholic that brought me to these meetings is not my child, but, you know, the story is the same. It was horrible. And I went to a lot of meetings, and I read a lot of literature, and I talked to a lot of people, and I worked the steps, and I got a sponsor, and now it's a lot better. It's the same story. And, and I can take from what he said the things that I identify with, and I can use that identification um, to help me in my situation, which is not exactly the same in very many ways, you know. But by identifying with what he said, by looking at the similarities rather than the differences, I can, I can find healing. I don't know if that helped anybody or not. And the first part of you know, how Al-Anon works, Tradition 5, how Al-Anon works, is working the 12 steps of AA ourselves. And I think, you know, Ruth and I talked about that uh, quite a bit, actually. And, that, and I will just relate a little bit of my experience, which is that when I made the decision uh, to really take those 12 steps seriously, to, to come to understand how each of those steps applied to my life, to come to understand what each of those steps meant for me, and to take the actions that are specified in, in, many, in several of those steps. When I did that, and that's what I mean when I say work the steps, to understand them to apply them to my life and to take the actions. 
when I did that, I got better. When I did that, my obsession with my loved ones drinking lessened. When I did that, uh, my rage went away. When I did that, I was able to sleep at night. When I did that, I was able to encourage and support my loved one while she was still active in her disease. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I do know that when I worked the steps, and in particular when I worked those steps that I was so afraid of about taking an inventory and admitting all my faults to somebody else, I got better. And, and I've heard a lot of people say in meetings they feel that their real recovery started when they took their inventory and got kicked into higher gear um, when they uh, became ready to have their shortcomings, their defects of character, whatever the phrase is you want to use from the step, when they became ready to have those removed and asked their higher power to remove them. And, and that when they went out and made amends to people they had harmed, um, is when their recovery became really solid. And that, that is my experience. It was also my experience. And I, I think I've said this in the, in the podcast before, but I, I, I've heard a couple of AA speakers say, you know, the chapter in the big book is not titled Why It Works. It's titled How It Works. And we don't have to understand why it works to take the actions. And for me and for many of the people that I know, taking those actions, working those steps, is where we found our recovery. So that's how Al-Anon works. Uh, that's what Tradition 5 tells us. And I want to close with uh, a reminder from um, a different reading in Courage to Change. This is from December 20th. And it's the quote at the end of the reading. And this quote's from the Bible. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or beautiful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. And each of us finds our own way in this program. And we come and we find people who love us before we can love ourselves. That people that tell us that we are worthwhile, that we are worthy and that we deserve all of the serenity and happiness that, that we can find. And here is a way to do it. After a short break, I'll continue to uh, talk about my life in recovery this week. I want to break with a, uh, a song. Uh, this song is by Tracy Chapman. It's titled Heavens Here on Earth. And this song was suggested by our listener Barbara. And she said, so much in this song about having hope and faith that things can be better. Love, compassion, forgiveness, sacrifice. This is why I continue to ask for the courage to change the things that I can. And to me, this song captures the love that's inherent in the fifth tradition, love for ourselves, love for alcoholic relatives, and love for those who are suffering the effects of this disease, which gives us heaven here on earth. Look for God in life on distant planets Have your faith in the ever after While each of us holds inside the map to the labyrinth And heaven's here on earth 
section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. I guess I should say in my meetings in my life this week. And uh, I talked about uh, talked about my Wednesday night meeting already. Um, and uh, Sunday, we actually used that um, reading from Courage to Change that I opened the podcast with. And it sparked um, some really... Um, you know, people sharing about how, a lot of sharing about how um, they had found some love for themselves in the program. About a couple of people said, one person said, wow, said that uh, that Bible quote was, you know, in my wedding and now here I am, uh, you know, wondering how long this, this marriage is going to last because of this disease. And, and I needed to be reminded of, you know, where I started from. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a busy week. I know I probably say that every week. Um, it's been a lot of stuff going on at work. Uh, we're also, um, preparing to, uh, to drive to where my daughter is going to college because she is graduating next weekend. And that's very exciting. Um, it's also kind of stressful. Uh, there's a lot of things to be done. She is a person who accumulates stuff. And so we're actually having to rent a small truck to drive her stuff home because it would be a different kind of stress to try to winnow through it to, to, to get it down to a, you know, enough stuff that would just fit in the car. And uh, recently realized, wait, um, maybe we can't take the dog with us because we would be leaving him alone for a very long time on the day of the actual graduation. And what are we going to do with him? And so there was another worry. There was a lot of worries going on and things are resolving. You know, um, we, uh, I talked to my parents who will be staying with, they live near where my daughter's in school and they have a neighbor who will be happy to, uh, to let him out a couple times during the day when we're gone. And, uh, you know, we do have the truck rented. Uh, my daughter, uh, finished her final semester, uh, as she said on Facebook, uh, 4.0 final Semester stuck the landing, which I like that that imagery. You know that uh, college is a is a vault, uh, and sometimes we stumble when we land. and And she felt like she didn't, and she was very worried about stumbling. Um, you know, she called me. Uh, I think sometime last week, just she said, "I, I don't feel like I can finish this final paper I have to write. I'm stuck. I just don't want to do it. I'm I'm tired of writing." Um, I'm tired of this topic, uh, and and I don't know where to. And I have so much stuff, and I don't know where to start. And I gave her some suggestions, starting with, well, you know, how important is it? She said, well, it's the entire grade for the class. I said, okay, so you have to do something. I said, but you know, you only have to get a C. This is not a class that's in your major. 
So nobody's really going to look at that grade and say, "Oh, you're 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 an unworthy person. We can't hire you because you got to see in this this class the last semester of your last year in college that's not related to your major." And I don't think that was something she wanted to hear because she's she's a driven person as as I am to a large large extent, and and you know a C is not something she wants to get. But I said, just you know, aim for a C. Aim for adequate. Don't aim for perfect because aiming for perfect is you're not going to get started. Remember our topic last week, right? I said things like, you know, what's the what's the one idea you want to you want to put forth in this paper? What are the three things that you have that support that idea? Start with those. So it's got to be 15 pages long. I said, well, okay. So if the one idea plus three things doesn't make 15 pages, then pick some more things. Uh, you know. And I don't know how much of that advice she took, maybe none. Um, but I think as we find in, in our meetings, even if we don't take home anything concrete, we, I think she found that just talking, just expressing you know, her frustration, expressing her fear that she wasn't going to finish, I think was helpful. Um, I, I know she did finish it. Obviously, she finished it. She obviously did well if she got a 4.0. Um, so, yeah, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of, of both my children. They're they're intelligent, uh, wonderful, and sometimes exasperating people, as is everybody. So, you know, I have I, I I'm I'm sort of skipping a week here. Um, I'm doing this episode in the middle of the week instead of on the weekend because we're going to be gone next weekend, and I really I'm not going to be able to record an episode um, while we're gone. And if you're hearing noises in the background, that's my dog being restless. Uh, and if you're not hearing noises, great. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so so I'm sort of skipping a week. I'm, I'm going to have like a week and a half from the last episode to this one, and then a week and a half from this one to the next one, roughly. And I really don't know what the topic is going to be next time. Uh, I haven't, haven't thought that far ahead. Uh, and to some extent, it may depend on who's available to do it with me and, and what they want to talk about. So we'll just um, let go of that outcome. Uh, say, if you have something you really want to hear about, here's an opportunity, because I don't know what I'm going to say. And so you stick something in my head, and it might just, it might just be there. It might just be what pops out. Um, ooh, shiny. Yeah, shiny new idea. I'll talk about it. All right. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to join this conversation, if you want to uh, send in... Uh, you know, give us your reflections about Tradition 5. You want to give us your reflections about how we understand and encourage our alcoholic relatives, about how we welcome and give comfort to families of alcoholics, or how we work the 12 steps, or any other any other topic related to uh, recovery. You can, uh, you, can, you can do that. We will read your email. We will play your voicemail. Uh, you can call and leave us a voicemail. We have a phone number. It's 734-707-8795. It goes straight to voicemail. You can call right now because voicemail is always there. You can also use a voicemail button on the website and leave us a, a voice message directly from your computer. And I do love to hear your voices. You know, I, And I figure if I can play your voicemail instead of reading your email... That's, uh, you know, maybe 30 seconds to three minutes. You don't have to listen to my voice. So think about that, too. Yeah, okay. Uh, you can also send us email 
The email address is feedback at com. And speaking of com, that is our website. We've got uh, everything about The Recovery Show there. We have uh, notes for each episode. You can listen right there on the website. You can, you know, download them to your smartphone or other portable device. Uh, you can subscribe using various uh, podcatcher applications, such as the Apple Podcasts app or the one I like on my iPhone called Downcast. Uh, we're on Stitcher Radio, which is another uh, sort of streaming radio, streaming podcast uh, application that's available on iPhone, on Android. Um, I used to have it on my BlackBerry back when work made me carry a BlackBerry. So it's available on a number of different platforms, and I understand it's becoming available in some automobiles as well. Lots of different ways to listen. Uh, We also have on the website uh, some uh, links to other recovery sites, uh, uh, such as the Al-Anon homepage, and, uh, yeah, so hop on over, check us out, and uh, let us know what you're thinking. And and uh, if you really want to join the conversation, like Ruth did this week, like Mara did last week, you could be a guest host. Uh, we, can, we can do this uh, no matter where you are, by Skype or by phone or Apple FaceTime, all of those technologies I've tried, and they work. So... Uh, Email us at feedback at com if you're interested. I'm going to take a little break before we listen to your emails. I don't think we got any voicemails this week. And I have another song. Um, and this one, this one's sort of about understanding and encouraging our alcoholic relatives, although maybe not exactly in the way that tradition means it. The song is White Winos by Loudon Wainwright III. And, uh, this song was, was recommended to us by Brian, who is a, um, a listener. I haven't heard from you for a while. Brian, if you're still out there, drop me a note, okay? Um, I really, you know, do take your suggestions. Sometimes it just takes a while. Um, so uh, this song uh, is really about, um, it's the singer recounting um, drinking with his mother. And they were white winos. They only drank white wine, or particularly she only drank white wine. And if you listen, you'll uh, actually hear the sort of the progression of of her disease as uh, as it goes as he goes through the song. This song also showed up in the movie Twenty Eight Days, which is a a comedy pretty much about recovery. I probably mentioned it on the show before. Um, I think it's funny. Um, I know Joe over at uh, Recovered Cast hates it, but uh, anyway, Loudon Wainwright. Uh, it, it actually plays a part in the movie. He's a, a guy at the recovery center who's always sitting on a chair, strumming on his guitar and singing. And he does sing this song in the movie. So, uh, yeah, listen as he chronicles the progression of her alcoholism. But he continues to love her. Mother liked a white wine when she was alive. She was desperate to live, but her limit was five. Carefully I'd kiss her and send her off to bed We always stuck with white wine, we stayed away from red Always stick with white wine, stay away from mother Liked her white wine, she'd have a glass or two Almost every single night after her day was through Sancerre, Chardonnay, Chablis, Pinot Grigio 
take the edge off just to get the glow. You got to take the edge off if you wanna get the. Mother liked her white wine. She'd have a glass or three, and we'd sit out on the screen porch. White winos, mom and me. We'd talk about her childhood, recap my career. When we got to my father, that was when I'd switch to beer. We got to the old man, and I'd always switch to mother. Liked her white wine. She'd have a glass or four each empty bottle. A dead soldier. Marriage was the war. When we blurred the edges, when we drank a lot, that's when I got nervous. When the glow got hot, I always get nervous when the glow gets. I still like my white wine, and I'll have a glass or two. And when I'm down, I'll drink some whiskey. It's something I shouldn't do. And every now and then, I'll take a drop of red when I'm with a woman that I wanna take to bed. When I'm with a woman that I wanna take to mother, like the white wine when she was alive. She was desperate to live, but her limit was five. Carefully I'd kiss her, send her off to bed. Thank God we stuck to white wine and we stayed away from mother like the white wine. Well, let's check out the mailbag here. Got a short note from Peggy who wrote to say, "I just found out your po- about your podcast last night. Thank you." And she asks, is there a way to mark favorites? I was listening to episode 55, Tradition 1. Since I had a hard time searching to find it, I'd like to somehow mark it for later. I am listening at work, so I can't download. And uh, I wrote back, I gave her a couple of suggestions, such as maybe bookmarking it in her browser. Um, And I also mentioned that uh, there is a search box on the website. And I, I looked at it again tonight, and I see that there's just this little box in the upper right corner that you can type text into, and it's really, really not obvious that it's for searching. I think there used to be the word search next to it or one of those little magnifying glass icons or something, but it certainly isn't there now. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to make it a little more obvious that that's for searching. Because I said, you know, look, if I type tradition one in here uh, then and I run the search, then an episode is actually the first thing that comes up. Um, but uh, don't blame her for not seeing it because I only saw it because I knew it was there, I guess. Um, here's another example of, of, uh, providing, uh, welcome and comfort to families of alcoholics. Last week we heard from one of our listeners who was struggling with loneliness, uh, when her loved one was out drinking and after, I mean, like the day after I put the episode up on the web, maybe even the same day. Um, another listener wrote uh, saying that she lived in the same country as the first listener, and we'd be happy to uh, email or call. So I forwarded that on, and I understand that they have been um, in touch. And I really, you know, this is what we do. 
we are there for each other. And that's, you know, that's our tradition. Patty, Patty wrote us an email talking about uh, the last episode. She says, I just listened to the We Claim Spiritual Progress episode and, as always, was blown away by how much I identified with the topic with both your shares and especially the metaphor of the garden, both versions. If you don't remember the metaphor of the garden, you're going to have to go listen to the episode again. I know you hear this a lot, but again, just had to tell you how much the podcast helps my recovery and thank you for your services. I travel a lot and there are no face-to-face meetings near my home, so online video meetings, email groups, my online sponsor, and this podcast are what helped me grow in my recovery. So thankful for this format, and your dedication is so inspiring to me. Thank you so much. Patty. Um, Eric sent an email. I love the show. Thank you for doing this. It's great when I can't get to a meeting to be able to listen to a podcast on my phone, which I always have with me. And I'm right there with you, Eric. I always have my phone and I always have podcasts on it. Got a, a note from Tim with some music suggestions. It says, Hi, Spencer. Your podcasts are such a blessing. I am grateful for the amount of time and soul you put into great content and excellent production value. Thank you for your service. I have a couple of songs you might consider, both by the group Hubastank. They have such insightful lyrics for the age they were when they wrote them, and they come to mind periodically when I'm listening to the podcast. If I Were You says it's an excellent song about gratitude and Never There, full of codependent thought and resentment. I listened to Never There tonight, and yeah, wow, that's an angry song. Uh, I have to find a good episode to use that one in. I haven't listened to the other one yet, or at least not recently. So he continues, thanks for contributing to my recovery. Others in my home groups have started listening because I regularly tell, after the meeting, of course, them how much they have helped me during the six months I've been coming to Al-Anon. Blessings, Tim. And then we got uh, a, a fun note from Penny, who wrote about an experience with a, a, what she called an Al-Anon relapse. She says, greetings. Thank you so very much for your podcast. I listened to Trusting the Process today as I rode my bike to work, and again on the way home. I learned a ton. I appreciate each of the speakers' perspectives. I'm amazed by the time and care of your service. Deepest thanks. Regarding Al-Anon relapse, after attending meetings weekly for two years, I didn't go to meetings for a year. You see, my meeting had gotten really small, and I didn't like a member who took up a lot of time and energy. I really questioned that, quote, these people had anything that would help me. No one's story was the same as mine. My problem wasn't as big as theirs. I didn't even really belong. After one of the most difficult years of my life, culminating in the three of the hardest months of my life, when I was at my wit's end, it dawned on me that I could go back to Al-Anon. Imagine that. I felt no shame at all in going back. In fact, I knew that I would be welcomed with open arms, no judgment. And that was indeed true. Not one person questioned my absence and only expressed happiness at my return. My return after a year away has been the best. The meeting has grown from four people to 16 plus every week. Now I can truly understand what a huge improvement Al-Anon, its principles and literature, my Al-Anon family, and the structure and regularity of the meetings have all made in my quality of life. I read literature more regularly. I have made connections with members, and I even got back on track with the 12 steps with my sponsor. I can truly relate to what one of you said about how it's much easier to contact a friend on the phone list than a relative stranger. (laughs) My absence gave me a perspective that has led to a stronger program. I now trust the process of Al-Anon and understand that progress, not perfection, is the goal. I am working it harder, and it's working better than ever for me. The beauty of Al-Anon is that I can progress in my own pace and time, which is just what I need. Again, many thanks for your service, Penny. 
And uh, took a look at uh, iTunes reviews. We had a couple of new ones there. And, uh, you know, iTunes reviews and ratings do help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. Uh, and, I, you know, I've talked to several people who's like, I don't know exactly how I find her. I must have done a search and, and there it was. And, uh, you know, any way that, that can help us to uh, to be visible to people who who are looking for some recovery, as uh, many of our, our correspondents today uh, were looking for. Uh, so anyway, if you want to leave a review, uh, we'd love it. Uh, if you want to give us five stars, we'd love that too. If you don't think we deserve five stars, then uh, let us, you know, do that. Um, because, uh, you know, that's an indication that, hey, we can still improve, which we always can still improve. I mean, I know that. Okay. Uh, okay, so here's a review. Best gift ever, five stars. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think my world would be turned upside down by an alcoholic. And yet, never in my wildest dreams did I imagine there could be a resource of hope and strength that God would use to help restore me to sanity. This podcast is that place. Many, many thanks. And another one, thank you. This podcast has essentially saved my life and the crazy I was bringing into it. Listening to it is a great way to start my day and gives me hope, especially when I can't make it to a face-to-face meeting. I can so relate to Spencer's story, and I feel as though the hosts, co-hosts, and guests have become my friends. I don't know where I would be or what I would do without this podcast. Thank you so much for keeping it on the air and all your hard work each week. It is so greatly appreciated. Um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't checked it out already, to um, look, uh, listen to the Recovered podcast. It's at recoveredcast.com. That's recoveredcast, all one word, dot com. Um, Mark, who hosts Recovered, uh, is the person who got me started in podcasting. And uh, his his podcast is uh, also about recovery. It's uh, definitely more from the AA side, which is um, why we started the recovery show about a year and a half ago to uh, have a recovery podcast uh, that, uh, you know, relates more to the Al-Anon side of the story than the AA or NA side of the story. But Mark's got a lot of recovery, and, you know, I, w- I participate in that podcast occasionally. I pers- participated in it quite a bit before starting the recovery show. And one of the things that became very clear to me that maybe it was already clear, but it became even clearer, is how much how much the two programs have in common, um, how much we're, we're working the same principles and the same steps and, and following the same journey once we get past our particular um, addiction or obsession. So uh, I think uh, I've talked to a lot of people who find a lot of a lot of value in that podcast. He will be doing shortly, sometime at the beginning of June, um, what he calls his 12-hour podcast, where uh, he starts at 8 in the morning Eastern time and goes to 8 in the evening. Each hour has a different guest or a couple of guests. Um, and he he does this as a, uh, a fundraiser in memory of his son who uh, died as a result of um, his... Uh, addiction. He does it as a fundraiser for a lo- local treatment center. The money they raised last year was enough to fund several people through uh, detox, uh, because this is one of the few uh, treatment centers that uh, that will admit people regardless of whether they can pay or not. And so they need that money. So check out Recovered. Uh, I guess uh, I should probably mention that you know it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the Recovery Show. We do have expenses. And you can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. Uh, we have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Allison and Tim did. Thank you, Allison and Tim. 
there are uh, also you can uh, buy books from Amazon or buy almost anything from Amazon by uh, clicking on a link from the uh, books page on our website. Uh, we have a, a list of recovery related books there. And uh, if you buy them from Amazon, after you click on one of those links, we get a, a little bit of a commission and that also helps to uh, defray uh, the expenses of, of producing this podcast. And, you know, if you, as many of us are uh, struggling financially, uh, addiction and alcoholism tend to, uh, to cause that. Uh, totally understood. And uh, just keep listening. Maybe tell your friends. We're here for you. So I'm going to close with a new song by the Black Keys. At least it's, it's new today. Uh, the album on which it's found uh, was released today as I'm recording this. And I was listening to the All Songs Considered podcast where they had an interview with the, the guys from the Black Keys about this album, about the process of producing it and about uh, some of the songs. And, and I just really uh, was getting into the music and so I had to buy the album. I had a hard time picking a song. Uh, I like a lot of them. But uh, this one, uh, in this particular song, which is called Year in Review by the Black Keys, um, I hear in the lyrics the sort of uh, love-hate relationship that so many of us have with our alcoholic loved ones, and which, uh, for me, the, the program helped to uh, increase the love part, reduce the hate part, which is a wonderful thing for me. And here's the lyrics that, that uh, I picked out. Why you always want to love the ones who hurt you, then break down when they go and desert you. No, oh no, it's so hard to let them go. Shame, such a shame, but you're doing it again. Thank you.